We're going to read to begin with from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're reading Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 25. It's a story we spoke about with the children as well. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or, or, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord! He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then we're going to read from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, and reading the first eight verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. 
Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word just now, we ask that you would bless us to it to us, that as we hear it and meditate on it together, we might look to Jesus and hear and know him. Amen. Jesus is an attractive figure. He's not only admired by Christians, but other religions admire Him too as a great prophet. Even people who are um, atheists, His teaching impresses them. And as you begin to read the Gospels, there's those encounters He has with people. They are remarkable. He, and, and beyond that, just the way He pours Himself out for what He believes and what He teaches. Even those that are not disciples are impressed by Him. They called Him John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, just a great person. Jesus, from the beginning, fascinated people. And then there's the church. And, and let's be honest, the church's PR is not as good as Jesus's, is it? Frankly. There's different stories. But talk to anybody about the church, and very quickly, even if they're positive about it, the story will come to the stories of failure. From ancient stories about the violence of the Crusades, to modern stories that are in the news too often about abuse uncovered of a priest or a pastor or whatever has gone wrong. And we don't need those shocking stories of people that have fallen or abuse that's been uncovered because actually all of us have got our own stories to tell about things that have not been right in churches, don't we? That time when you needed and nobody called. That time when you came to church and instead of a welcome, you got a cold shoulder. That time when somebody was squabbling over something that didn't matter and words were spoken that were unkind and unhelpful. Neglect. Disappointment. Maybe even abuse. We've got the stories and we've all got the scars. And we are the ones that hung around. There's any number of other stories, aren't there, about people that didn't, that didn't come back because of what they experienced in churches. The church also talks about God. It talks about this God who, who loves, and it talks about this God who, who gave Himself, and yet sometimes when we come to worship, it just doesn't really seem very real. The preaching, the lack of action. We look at the church and we think, you talk about this lovely Jesus, and you don't really reflect it. And sometimes, if we are honest, it's tempting to give up on church. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think every single person here does. Jesus and church. But then there's Peter. 
And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. Peter looked at Jesus when he asked that question, who am I? And he said from his heart, Lord, you're it. I look at you and I just get it. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And I love it. I want more of it. And Peter said that in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and that's quite significant because you don't need to know much about Caesarea Philippi, but it was a sort of holy place, a holy place for pagans. And in Caesarea Philippi, there's the ruins of a, an old temple to a Greek god called Pan, but there's also another ruin that is the reason it was called Caesarea Philippi, because a guy called Philip, who was one of the Herods, built a temple there to the dead emperor. Caesar Augustus, to honor him. That's why it's called Caesarea Philippi. So it was a place that honored dead gods like Pan and a dead emperor. And it was in that place that Peter said, not just you're the son of a god, but he said, you're the son of the living God. The son of the God that excites me. He wasn't just making a theological statement as if he said, well, I know God exists and I know that this is true theologically. Who cares about that stuff? He was saying, you make me know that God is alive. I see the life of the living God in you. I see God in you, and it excites me. The world will be changed by you. Everything will happen because of you. I get it. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you've nailed it. But then he goes on to say, it wasn't revealed by flesh and blood, which basically means says, Peter, you've got it, but don't get too ahead of the game because this wasn't because you were clever and you worked it out and you did the Bible quiz. This was because God is speaking to you and speaking through you. It's an important thing to remember as Christians we're not followers of Jesus because we're clever and we worked it out when no one else did. We're followers of Jesus because God has spoken to us through Him. It's all about God. But what Peter saw in Jesus was a revelation of the living God. Are you hungry for that? I know I am. Hungry not just to come to church or, or to do things, but hungry to actually begin to look at Jesus and be excited about the living God active in the world. The living God come for you, giving meaning to your life. But then Jesus goes on to say something else to Peter that's very important. You are Peter. Petros is the Greek. It means the rock. And on this confession of who I am that you have made, on this rock, on this discovery of the living God incarnate in me, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a church. Now, this is very clear and very important. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who brought this life into the world, intended to build a church. And in fact, if you, if you read the Gospel of Matthew right through, the very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel was, go out and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them that they can follow me too. He was intentionally saying, my life, the life of God in me, is about 
a legacy of teaching and of a message of building a church, and Peter, I'm putting it into your hands. I'm putting it into the hands of people like you who say that I am the Lord. This is yours. Now, why does this matter? It matters because in the midst of all we've said about the broken church and the beautiful Jesus, we need to understand that this beautiful Jesus is saying, you cannot dismiss the church because this beautiful Jesus is building a church, even when that church is not always beautiful. This beautiful Jesus is intending that His message, His gospel, His good news will spread through the world via this church, and it always has. Jesus did more than that because He went on to connect for Peter that what the church would do would connect with what God was doing. I give you, he said, the keys of the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How people react to you, Peter, and the message that you take out from me and the followers take out from me will have eternal heavenly consequences. If they accept you, they're accepting me. If they reject you, they're rejecting me. Now, I don't know about you, but that troubles me because it's putting an awesome responsibility on us, isn't it? That how we act and what we do and how we share this and how we live this will have eternal consequences for people. But Jesus also says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that's not because gates advance. It's because the church always advances and always overcomes. Now, what does this mean for us? It means this. You cannot follow Jesus and dump the church. And that's often very tempting. I, I hear lots of people say, I, 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 just, I, I love Jesus, I, I'm going to follow him, but you know the church stuff. I've had so many bad experiences, it's so broken, I don't want to know. I give up. I stop caring about it. Or, or I go looking for the perfect one, and newsflash, you'll not find it. And any of you that have moved around and gone to different churches, you can tell me what's wrong with every single one of them, can't you? The first thing that Jesus said to Peter back in chapter 4 was, follow me. And we know right away that he was telling other people to follow him, that they would follow him together. And the story of Jesus in the Gospels, the story of his teaching, the story of his love, the story of how he deals with people is intertwined in all four Gospels with the story of the disciples, that group of people and, and their failings and the things that they got wrong and the ways they hurt people and the things that they, that they, that they completely blew. You see, Jesus comes not as an abstraction that you could sort of believe in like a philosophy. He comes and embodies himself in people in the church. But then he said to his disciples, don't tell anybody. You'll find this theme quite often of Jesus saying, hushed, right now, don't, don't say anything. The, the theologians call it the messianic secret. But what Jesus is really saying is, 
don't go about talking about the power of the living God in me until you understand something. Because there's something very important that I have to teach you just now. And he immediately goes on to begin to teach them that. Verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would be rejected by the people that matter, and all of that before he was raised to life. And what was he saying as he said that? He's saying this, if you want to know the power of the living God released in the world, if you want a Messiah who's going to come and save you and, and bring the answers that the world needs, you need to understand that this God who is coming is the down and out God. This is the God who comes to give himself, to give his life in sacrifice, in brokenness, and to be killed. This is the way of rejection. You see, we want everything to be shiny, don't we? We want a church where we hang out with Jesus and when we come in, it's, it's, it's easy. We want great music. We want a successful church. We want people to be coming and, and, and things to be blooming and growing and getting stronger. We want to hang out with a Jesus who says, come and follow me and it'll be good. It'll be okay. It'll be healthy. It'll be full of peace and shalom and everybody getting on and things will be really, really good. And Jesus says, come and follow me because I come to be rejected and to pour out my life in self-giving. And he talks about the cross. And we struggle 2,000 years on to understand the cross, really. I mean, we understand that this was horrible and painful, and we've all had the, the, the preachers who have told us how you suffocate and how long it takes and all the rest of it. But the thing that we miss 2,000 years on is what the cross symbolized in the ancient world, and it symbolized you were scum. You were nothing. You were stripped naked and hung out for everyone to see that you had been destroyed by Rome. That you were a slave or a rebel or a nothing and you could be spat upon. That you were cancelled. That you were an unperson. Loser is what the cross said and what it was designed to say. And God says only when you get that it is to be a loser in Jesus do you get the resurrection? The Roman world was a world that respected strength and success and achievement. And sometimes as we look at church, we feel the same. That's what we want. Success, respect, achievement, power. We want society to listen to us when we talk about moral values and shake up and, uh, and be reformed. We want to win the culture war so that we can, we can impose back our, our standards again. That's what we want. And the cross says the church is going to be marked out as the people who follow the eternal loser to victory. That's why that sign of the cross isn't a sign of a powerful church, but of degradation and embarrassment and failure. Peter hears all this, and he says, no. Never, Lord. Now, <laughs> there's a contradiction in terms, isn't there? You're supposed to say, Amen, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll go with you, Lord. No, Lord, he says. 
And, and then he takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Here was Jesus teaching Peter the way that it should be, and now Peter says, no, no, you you come and I'll tell you the way it's going to be. That's not how it works. That's not how it's going to happen. That's not what success is. Jesus has been explaining to him about suffering, and, and Peter says, no, 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 let me explain things to you. And unfortunately, in our world to do, that's what we often do. We say, God, this is how it should be. And God says, uh-huh. Now, Peter might have said to Jesus at that point, we're actually doing quite well, Jesus. Look at the crowds. You're popular. This could work. People are getting healed and they they love it. You know, you'd be a Messiah of strength. Come and sort things out in the world. Make life better. Bring peace and healing, not suffering. Popularity, not humiliation. Success, not failure. That's the sort of living God that I want to follow. I don't want to follow a God of failures. I want to follow a God who makes everybody feel good. And let's go with it. Build your church, Lord, yeah. I want great music, great community work, solid preaching, happy people, not so much of the humiliation, suffering, or costly failures. Yeah? Is that us? It's certainly me. What does Jesus say? Satan. Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's not messing about, is it? You're not the rock that I want to stand on, Peter. You're the rock that I'm going to stumble on, Peter. This is human thinking and this is satanic. What Jesus is doing here is he's calling out wrong thinking. And sometimes we say of these things, you know, I I don't believe in a God who says hard things. I don't believe in a God who makes people uncomfortable. I don't believe in a God who calls things evil. Tough. Tough. Tough because if you believe in the living God, not the God that you made in your little idol shrine, then you've got a God and that God gets to do the teaching. That God gets to tell you what reality is. That God gets to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You need to change, not him. Jesus goes on to say more than that. He goes on to say to Peter and the others, it's not just my suffering. But the cross is the pattern that as I pour myself out in love for the salvation of the world, if you want to follow me, you need to be reshaped by this pouring out because you are called to do it too. You know, our world at the moment, this is one of the reasons that people reject church because church is people together and our world is terribly individualistic. It's an iWorld. I don't mean iPhone, iPad, and iPod. I mean idolatry. I mean I choose, I decide, I find, I find myself, I go my own way. And Jesus said, I come and I give myself up. I pour myself out. And you must do that too. power of the cross, the power of the cross is Him pouring Himself out, and we are asked to commit to that. And here's the other thing, Jesus commits Himself to the church. He pours Himself out, 
and he gives himself to a, an institution that will sometimes be abusive and wrong-headed and sometimes quite lost because it is very human and broken. It's frustrating and it's disappointing. But what he's saying is, I pour out my love and my life into her that she might do the same as she follows me. The problem with giving up in the church is what we are often saying is, I deserve better than this. I deserve to be treated better than this. And Jesus says, so did I. And I poured myself out for them. And at the worst, that modern thing, and you'll have heard people say this, I don't need organized religion, I'm just spiritual. The problem with that is it, what he's actually saying is I don't need people because people fail. I don't need institutions and organizations of people, I just need me and God. And that is not what Jesus comes to do. The living God says, I will build my church. I will give my life for her. I will bleed for her. I will die for her. I will go to hell and back for her that I might present her in beauty to the Father and never give up on her. I will transform through her the world when she learns death and resurrection until she is blameless before my Father. In these days ahead, we continue to look at what, what the shape of church is going to be like. And can I just say this? I am more and more convinced as I think about the gospel that ministry and being church together is not about looking for success. It's not about looking for numbers. It's not about looking for strength. It's not about looking for glitz or comfort. It's not even about looking to be the best in service. It's looking to find the God who poured Himself out for us and learning to follow Him and pour out our lives for Him. Are we willing to do that? For He did that for us.